DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's a blessing to be with you. Thank you for this wonderful series. To be able to explore the wisdom of St. Teresa of Avila is a gift. During this time of trial, it's so easy to get caught up in the externals of what's going on in the world and in the church and the pandemonium to be able to attend to the real drama of salvation that is unfolding, the deeper reality that is unfolding around us. This is a very important thing to do, and and I feel very privileged to be able to share some of this with you that Teresa of Avila charted out. She was a, a pioneer of the interior life, and she went into deep places that even after 2,000 years of history and prayer in the church, we've only scratched the surface of, and she calls us to go deeper, and you've helped make this exploration possible, Chris. Well, thank you, Anthony. Couldn't do it without you, of course. You're such a great spiritual guide for so many, and especially in this beautiful teaching of Teresa of Avila, there are some, and I probably would include myself as well, who, as we enter into the sixth mansion, particularly as we get into chapters like this one, chapter five, that might say, this is all nice to know, but it is probably speaking to the heart of someone else out there. Couldn't, couldn't be my experience. And yet, even as she's explaining in what is going through here, there is something for all of us to learn and to glean. There's a, there's a depth. It is meant and touches all of us, doesn't it? Yes, it's true. You know, she wrote this for her whole community, and she didn't mean for portions of it only to be read by in certain uh, stages of their uh, spiritual maturity. She wanted the most childlike beginners in the life of perfection to engage this conversation with her and to travel on this journey with her because she knew that if they could see what Jesus was calling them to, they would aspire to, to it. Simply by aspiring to it, it helps raise us up out of the mundane and the banal. It helps us see the exigencies of the moment in their proper place. They, they don't get to define the whole of life. They don't get to limit how the greatness that God is calling us to, the love that he is asking of us. This is the exploration she wants even the least of her spiritual children to go along with her. And at the same time, for those who are, are more advanced, what they're going to see as they begin to read these things and take 
them a lot more seriously is that no matter how far along they've gone, there's much further to go. That as we draw closer and closer to the Lord, the spiritual life in a certain way, you can't really say it gets easier. I mean, you're not as inclined towards sin, although you can sin very easily. You're not as inclined to it. And so that sense, you might say it's easier. But in another sense, in terms of the courage and the fortitude, the patience that God asks of his soul as it draws closer to him, this will continue to require tremendous trust and tremendous surrender. And in this chapter, she emphasizes especially tremendous courage. As it starts off, again, we're in the Sixth Mansion, Chapter 5. She's talking about another form of rapture. Set us off on this quest. What are we to learn from what Teresa has for us? In the last chapter, we broke that up and we spent a lot of time going through her teaching a certain kind of rapture there, which she described in terms of a kind of suspension of the senses. You might say that kind of rapture is aped in a certain way by religious experiences people try to pursue. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Jim Morrison and the doors breaking through to the other side. His pursuit, he was very serious about this, by overloading the senses with with pleasure, by overexposing oneself to the sensational, to sensation, uh, all of a sudden you would arrive at a different state of consciousness where you were no longer prisoner to your senses. You you might call that tantraic mysticism. Think of the word tantrum, where you work yourself up into a fit. Well, this is something that you'll even find in the Bible. The King Saul was hanging out with the prophets. They were the kind of guild prophets who worked themselves up into a psychic state. And similarly, uh, when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal, you know, they exhaust themselves in dancing and crying out, trying to work themselves into a psychic state by which Baal will act in power and ignite their fire that they had prepared. And remember, they're not able to do it. They're exhausted. They're in this psychic state. They've broken through to the other side. And Elijah comes down after God ignites his fire that he dumped water on. After that, he comes down and he kills them all and then flees. But that pursuit of a psychic state is something that some people mistake for prayer. And in the last chapter, Teresa of Avila is basically, if you could summarize this state where you kind of go beyond your senses, go beyond the periphery of your being into something deeper. A theme in our last chapter, you could say, is that this isn't something that you try to stir yourself up in or strive for or anything like this. It's a pure gift. God leads you to this very beautiful place. Your job is to dispose yourself by desiring Christ Jesus. And then when Jesus desires to show you his riches, to give you his wisdom in a way that the senses limit you from receiving, he'll lead you beyond the senses in his own time. This kind of rapture that we're about to look at in chapter 5, a certain kind of flight of spirit, she calls it, isn't substantially different, talked about before. But you might say the emphasis or the accidents around it are a little bit different and have a nuanced, different purpose. 
And what she says about rapture of flights of spirit, what she's saying, what's going on here in these experiences here in the sixth mansion is not substantially different than what's going to happen in the seventh mansion. In fact, she says there's no doorway where you pass through a door from this to the next, the deepest stage. It's, it's more like uh, you're in a, a room with a kind of chamber, then you go beyond uh, one threshold to the next. You could almost call it one big giant room. She kind of acknowledges when she's talking about these experiences, they're not really different, except for maybe some of the effect of this phenomena. And so, again, in our last chapter in the sixth mansion, this kind of rapture, you notice that the phenomena there that she mainly talks about is the forgiveness of sin and then the communication of knowledge. And so there's something still purifying about it. Uh, you read a passage, it disposes you to something, and then God lifts you out. And the first thing that happens is freedom and attachment from sin is given you. And freed from sin, you can begin to receive a deeper communication. Well, in this flight, there's something analogous that happens, only the emphasis is a little bit less on sin and a little bit more on a reordering or a transformation of your interiority. And so the rapture is one where you are overwhelmed. It's a flight of spirit in which you're overwhelmed. And so she begins to describe this. For those of you who know the writings of St. John of the Cross, in his writings, one of the places he talks about is in Spiritual Canticle, in the 13th stanza. Withdraw them, beloved. I am taking flight. Return, dove. The wounded stag is in sight on the hill, cooled by the breeze of your flight. He uses flight twice in that stanza. This poem is a reinterpretation, of course, of the Canticle of Canticles, the scriptural poem. And the bride, at this stage of the poem, she has been on one heck of a journey through her life, just like we have in this interior castle. She has climbed mountains. She's suffered down ravines. She's gone across until she gets into this little garden. Then in the center of this garden, she finds a spring. As she gazes into it, it begins to smooth over, and she can see a reflection. As she looks into the reflection, of course, she would see herself, but what else does she see? She sees the eyes of him whom she loves. And John of the Cross says, well, what is this water? This, this water is the faith. And the surface of the faith is the truths of our faith. As you ponder the truths of our faith, you catch a glimpse of Jesus's love for you. This is why sacred study is so important, is that it leads you into a deep encounter with Jesus. His eyes are actually etched into your soul. In the last chapter, this is what exactly what Teresa describes. She says, you're reading some truth of the faith, and all of a sudden as you read it, you're overwhelmed. You go beyond your senses. And then John the Cross, this is where he uses flight. She sees him so overwhelming to see his loving gaze. It's so beautiful that it stops everything. Um, she's seized by it. Beauty. Beauty brings us joy. We know that when we hear a beautiful symphony or a beautiful poem, see a beautiful work of art, or, in a, or if we are in a beautiful forest or see a beautiful river, 
It soothes us to see something beautiful. It gives us a certain joy to see something beautiful. There are things that are so beautiful, they seize your whole being. One of the things that where I experienced that was the first time I went to Niagara Falls and I saw the enormous amount of water coming down. I felt small before that much power being unleashed right before my eyes. Something seized me, something greater than me, overwhelmed me. Um, I had a similar experience the first time I went to the Grand Canyon. And it appeared over the edge and what you saw was so beautiful and so deep and so vast, it overwhelmed my imagination. It, it seized me and I was afraid of the depths I saw, just like I was afraid of the water that came down. Something said, you know, be careful. Well, it's the same way also if you gaze on a bride walking down the aisle towards her bridegroom. There's a beauty in the bride that is so beautiful that a sense of purpose and dignity and greatness, it seizes your soul. At least the bridegroom, when he sees that beauty, it seizes his soul. There's a certain tower. You realize that because I've encountered this beauty, I will never be the same. And that's the way every wedding should be. I imagine for the bride to see her bridegroom that day, that same tower, that beauty, that joy, the heart-piercing sorrow, all at once, your heart can't hold it all. and It wants to just explode. Well, if you understand that, what I've just tried to explain to you, if when I just described this to you, you were able to turn towards a memory of something like that when the, where the joy and the sorrow and the terror of beauty seized you. Now you begin to understand what John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila tried to describe by flight of spirit. And in this particular flight of spirit, it's not simply that you're going beyond what your senses tell you and accessing truths that are deeper in your being, but you're completely caught up outside of everything you think of when you think of daily life everything that is ordinary, all of a sudden you're not aware of it anymore. You're aware of something else or someone else, and it pulls at your soul. And that's this flight. As she flies in John the Cross's poem, at this stage of the poem, it's too early for her, for the bride to receive everything Jesus wants to give it. And so he says, come back to your body. <laughs> Come back to bodily, everyday existence. And that's also part of this experience. She, Teresa of Avila doesn't talk about it here. She talks about simply receiving the grace at first. But Jesus doesn't allow this to happen for uh, uh, all the time, for lengthy periods of time. Sometimes it can be quite short. But the reason why he only permits it for quite a short time is because we can't handle more. And so he sums us back into our body and back in the ordinary every day so that we can treasure the gifts he was able to give us to prepare us to receive something much more. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment.
Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside that others may be praised, and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. If the listener would just take a moment and ponder to try, or even ask the Lord to bring them back to a moment where they maybe touch something like that. Don't get too caught up. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, but not to get too caught up about, well, I can't possibly, I'm in the third mansion or I'm in the second. Don't think about levels, but think about a moment that is you touch a transcendence. I don't know if this would be appropriate. Maybe you could tell tell me if I'm off base. But when you were speaking originally, to my surprise, I thought, did I ever have that type of a moment? And all I could think of was when, like you were describing Niagara Falls, I was thinking about that day I brought my first child home. And it was just me and her. Mm. And I remember my husband had left, and it was just me and her. And I remember looking at her on, or holding her 
everything changed. It didn't happen when I was giving birth, but it was in the quiet when it was just me and her holding her and everything was different. You know, mm. you, everything stops, the, the wonder of their hands. And, but then the, the fear, the enormity of, whoa, something's happening. <laughs> this is not what I expected. But then you come back. It's an earthy moment. I felt like God was there as I understood it later in reflecting back on it. And then there were times where I could think of uh, years ago where I felt in that moment where unexpectedly in a moment after experiencing something, God breaks in and you're just, oh, and everything is different. It kind of overwhelms you. And, but, and, and when you said that, that terrifying moment where all of a sudden, but not like fear, fear, it's a different kind of fear. I don't know how else to describe it. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily what she's describing here, but it, I think many out there might be able to, if they have that moment of quiet, allow the Lord to lead them so that they can, like you at Niagara Falls or you on the Grand Canyon, just to get a glimpse. Does that make sense, Anthony? Yeah. Those experiences in a certain way are analogous to what Teresa's saying. And so they become for those who maybe haven't had an experience of prayer like this, a way of kind of going, okay, this is what she's trying to get at. And so that's why it's a helpful exercise to call to mind these things. Other than just saying, well, that's so totally different than my prayer experience. I could never have it. As we're describing these experiences, there's two dimensions always to keep in mind. One dimension well, dimension, two facts, truths to keep in mind. One truth is that God can take a beginner in the first couple mansions and bring him to this part and give him this rapture at whatever time he pleases in whatever way he wants. So if you've had one of these experiences, I wouldn't all of a sudden let your ego get puffed up about how far advanced you are in the spiritual life. It doesn't mean that you're all that advanced at all. It just means that the Lord deigned that you should have this experience that is proper to a deeper intimacy with him, perhaps to give you a foretaste of what is to come. On the other hand, if you've never had an experience like this, do not be discouraged that somehow you've displeased Christ or that somehow you're less holy than other people or not as spiritual. The reality is, Jesus is communicating to you in just the way he needs to communicate to you. If he wants you to have this experience because it will help your intimacy with him, all the better. And if he doesn't want you to have this experience because he's afraid of ruining a beautiful work that he's begun in you, all the better. I think, though, it is a consolation to know that these experiences live in our mystical tradition as Catholics. These are not extraordinary graces from the standpoint of something that only a, an elite few can ever access, but these are graces that God gives us by virtue of our baptism. And that's why the image that she uses for this particular kind of rapture is very interesting. It's water. She refers to the basin of water that she's already talked about in the fourth mansion. Remember the fourth 
spiritual mansion, this is where mystical prayer began. This uh, prayer of quiet and a spark of something has begun to move. There's a certain stillness of water is set in the soul, much like what John of the Cross describes, actually in stanza 12 of the spiritual canticle, that water at the very center of the soul in the center of the garden of the soul in which you discover Christ. In stanza, in the fourth spiritual mansion, she's already referred to this image too. But here she refers back to it and she uses it in a very different way. And this can sound a little bit disturbing. And she's already prefaced. She said, you know, prayer requires great courage. You could say, she doesn't say this, but I'm going to say it. You could say, prayer is not for wimps. What God does in prayer is sometimes quite painful. Do not be afraid of the painful things the Lord allows you to suffer in prayer. He doesn't permit you to suffer certain things because he's angry or vengeful or or you're unworthy or whatever. He's more like a divine physician. And in this stage of prayer, there are things that need to be healed deep inside us. Things that have been wrong with us since Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden. And to heal those things, well, sometimes something very deep and difficult happens within us. And this rapture or this flight is a little bit more like one of those experiences. Elizabeth of the Trinity, she describes it in a poem. She writes a poem about a little skiff or a little boat that's floating along on the great ocean of contemplation with the beautiful sky filled with stars above her. She's gliding along kind of merrily on her peaceful sea to the homeland of the Father. And everything's going just right. And then as she goes along, all of a sudden a deep current takes her and her whole skiff is pulled underwater. To everyone who's standing on the shore, when she's pulled underwater, it looks like everything's ended in sudden and certain disaster. Everything she set out to do, all of a sudden ending in failure. This experience that of flight that Teresa of Avila describes here is a lot like that experience of the poem. It's very difficult and sobering when you're brought under the waters of baptism to die. It's a flight out of self, out of your normal way of life. You're overwhelmed, you're inundated. When it first happens, you see the disaster and the difficult circumstances which evoked it. You confront your inadequacy and your own failure and are aghast at, at some of the evil you find that you think there. You pay attention to those things in this prayer. You will never find the courage to endure it because the waters that are pulling you under are the waters of God's love. This is the purpose of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity's poem. When she was engulfed, she was engulfed in God's love. She was engulfed in the Holy Trinity. It looks like failure. It looks like terrible trial. But you're submerged in a love that is so unfamiliar, so beautiful, 
Yes, it strikes terror. Yes, it's, it's heart-piercing. And yet there is so much joy, so much peace. You would never trade it for anything else. I recently wrote a poem that is analogous to this experience. Not quite the same thing, but gets to, um, I think, what Elizabeth's poem tried to uh, express and and some unveils a little bit of what this flight of spirit can be like. Off the edge of inadequacy, into that void, I searched for him who would vindicate and rebuild what I destroyed. Into the deep that stepped, sliding down ravines of misery, abyss swallowing, flooding torrents of chaos, self vanishing under waves of euphoric delusion and dreams dashed dead on reality's rocks. Such shell-shocked emptiness entombed all else in that ache for him. Deeper still I traversed crawling those pathways unknown to unaided eye to chance upon, to stumble into, to discover that wall, that rampart, that impenetrable frontier that no evil passes beyond. Oh, boundary in which misery meets its limits, periphery of hope in that glance of goodness, making all things new, such splendors as evoke awe, radiant harmonies through all troubles shining in that sunrising where spews alive currents from deeper down bottomlessness no one knew moved with such unvanquished force. Something of the flight of a spirit that Teresa is trying to explain, I think finds a connection. I think the basin of water of which the fourth mansion was being filled at that stage, gently and quietly. I mean, without any movement. But now this great God who controls sources of waters and forbids the sea to move beyond its bounds has loosened the sources from whence water has been coming into this basin. And with tremendous force, there rises up so powerful a wave that this little ship, our soul, is lifted up on high. And if the ship can do nothing, and neither the pilot nor any of the crew has any power over it, the waves make such a furious assault upon it and toss it about at their will. Even less is able in the interior part of the soul to stop where it likes, while the senses and faculties can do no more than has been commanded them. The exterior senses, however, are quite unaffected by this. Meaning you don't feel physical pain. You don't see or hear or experience things in your senses. Rather, this is a thing that happens in the depths of your soul. The mere writing of this makes me astounded when I reflect how the great power of this great king and emperor manifests itself here. What then must be the feelings of anyone who experiences it? For my own part, I believe that if his majesty were to reveal himself to those who journey through the world, to their perdition, as he does to these souls. They would not dare out of very fear, though perhaps out of love, to offend him. 
Oh, how great then are the oblations attending souls who have been warned in so sublime a way to strive with all their might so as they might not offend the Lord. For his sake, sisters, I beseech you, to whom his majesty has granted these favors and others like them, not merely to receive them and then grow careless, but to remember that anyone who owes much has much to pay. This uh, passage speaks to us about the holy fear that such a soul should allow itself to feel. Um, There's a holy fear before the power of God, a holy terror of heart before what is truly beautiful. And if you will let yourself experience it, it protects you from sin because the love is so beautiful. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you'll find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.